Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. We are going to continue our worship by studying the Word of God. So once again, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, again, we thank you for today. We thank you for all you've done, all you're doing. We pray for all of your servants on this campus. Thank you, Lord, for the worship team. Thank you for those in the sound booth and those uh, working with the technology. We thank you for security team, just everybody on campus, those working with the youth and the children and doing administrative duties. Father, we thank you. We're so blessed. Now, Father, I pray for a fresh filling of your spirit. I pray for a timely word to share. Lord, as I spent some alone time with you, Lord, which we talked about last week, I pray that your people will get the benefit of that. May you help me, Lord, to rightly divide your word of truth. May you help us all to have open and receptive hearts. Help us, Lord, to do your will and bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're new or visiting or you just need a reminder, on Wednesday nights we are going through the gospel according to Mark. On Sundays, our senior pastor, Pastor Jim Remington, is going through the book of Acts. And then our uh, Spanish pastor, uh, Pastor Al Rubio, is going through the book of Hebrews. And so with that being said, um, if you will, please go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 4. And you can put your finger there on on verse 35. So when we start, that's where, that's where we're going to begin. That's the first verse we're going to look at. Now, in last week's lesson, we pointed out some benefits of our alone time with the Lord. We pointed out that it is a time for the Lord to teach us and equip us for whatever it is he wants us to do, perhaps even for that specific day. Also pointed out that in that alone time, one of the benefits is the fact that we just get to enjoy God's presence. Just thank him. Just give him praise and and worship. Just give him the love that he is due. But also one of those benefits that we mentioned, and obviously this is in a different order than last week, One of the benefits of the alone time I mentioned was to use it to ask God questions. And of course, that point was based on Mark chapter 4, verse 10. Because the people who were around Jesus, who were with the 12 disciples, they wanted to ask Jesus for clarity about the parable, about the sower, and the four different types of soils. But that's not, of course, the first example of people in the scriptures, in the Bible, asking God questions. I go all the way back to the book of Genesis where Abraham asked God a question about how he could know for sure that he's going to inherit 
Not only him, but his descendants will inherit the land of Canaan that we call the promised land because that's the land God promised to him and his descendants. And so he wanted to know for sure that he was going to inherit it, how he was going to inherit that. And then we flip over to the next book of the Bible, Exodus, where Moses asked God a question because things weren't going as smoothly as he thought. God raised him up and was going to use him to help deliver the Israelites, Moses' people, from slavery, from the Egyptians. But of course, again, things weren't going as smoothly as he had thought in that deliverance process. And then in the book of Judges, we see Gideon, one of the judges. He asked God a question about him being used to save the Israelites from their oppressors, the Midianites. How are you going to use me? And then, of course, we see King David. He asked God, why was there a famine in the land? The famine that went on for three years in the land. And he was curious, why is this happening? And so, of course, the Lord told him it was because of Saul, the previous king, he had killed the Gibeonites. And so David is another example of a a Bible character, a real person, by the way, who asked God a question. And then we turn to one of the psalmists in Psalm 10, for example, who again asked God a question. He wondered why God seemed to be so far away in times of trouble. Then, of course, we go to the New Testament. We fast forward and we see Peter in Matthew 18, verse 21. And he asked the Lord a question about how often should he forgive his brother who sins against him? And, of course, the Lord gave that famous answer 70 times 7. So an innumerable amount of times. And then we see Nicodemus. He asked Jesus a question about the process of being born again. He just couldn't understand how that could be done. And so we move on to another disciple of Jesus, and that disciple was Thomas. And of course, Thomas was very inquisitive and And so in John 14, he asked Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, a question about the way, because Jesus talked about the way, but he asked Jesus, how can we know the way? And of course, Jesus again says those famous words about himself that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and, and nobody can come to the Father but through him. And so all through scriptures, not just in Mark 4.10, from our last study, but through scriptures, we see these people of God. They, they use that alone time to, to ask God whatever questions they have. But I need to clarify that just in case somebody may have taken that the wrong way. Now, we're not saying that we, we, we should ask God questions with a bad attitude. We're not saying that When we ask questions, we should question God's character. So you're not questioning God, but if you're curious about something, 
Yes, you can go to the Lord in that quiet time we talked about. And of course, this is very important, especially for today. We do not question clear truths, clear scriptures about a topic in the Bible because it's God's word. So we don't question those, those truths that are clear and make it out as if God is wrong. And, and so some people ask the why question, for example, having the right attitude, the, I'm sorry, the wrong attitude. And so that is not the way to come to God with your questions to ask with the wrong attitude. But the right way to ask God questions in that quiet time, and again, we're reviewing last week's study. We should ask with honest questions. There's some people who throw questions out there and they, they don't care what the answer is. They, they don't have any intentions of obeying anyway. They don't have any intentions of surrendering their lives to the Lord anyway. And so some questions are not honest, but we should ask God honest questions. That's the right way. And of course, we ask with the right attitude. What is the right attitude? It's the attitude of humility, being humble and having a teachable heart. And so the point is, when we have our quiet time and use that opportunity to ask God questions, the point is to take our questions to the one who has all the answers. Now, he may not give us the answer when we want it or how we want it. He may not give us the answer on this side of eternity. But I believe that God will give us more understanding about his character, about who he is. And I do believe that he'll give us peace to know that even if we don't have an answer on this side of eternity, he'll give us the peace to know that he has it all under control. And so, yes, take your questions to the one who has all the answers. And I piggyback off of that point and I saved it for last because today we're going to address the questions that, that, that many people in the world have today. That many people in this country have today. That many people perhaps in your families or even in this building or campus, they have the question today and we see it on the screen there. And it's the title of our lesson for tonight. And the question is, does God care? And so we're not going to address this question by what we think or how we feel or from some other source. But we're going to address this question, does God care, based on the word of God. And so there's a fancy word that said that, that's called exegesis. So we pull out from the scriptures. To answer this question, does God really care? Does God care? And so if you still have your fingers there on Mark 4, verse 35, we're, we're ready to begin. We're ready to dig into the word of God. It says on the same day, that is the same day in which he taught the multitudes by parables. When evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. That is, he's crossing to the other side as they uh, ride on the boat on the Sea of Galilee. And so, of course, Jesus was teaching by this sea. 
this Sea of Galilee. And then afterwards, he wanted to go toward the eastern shore. And so what I see here in this scripture is that the same God who wants to be in the lives of people on one side of the lake or Sea of Galilee, he is the same God who wants to be involved in the lives of people on the quote unquote other side. And so if God has that type of heart, I wonder what about us as believers? Are we willing to take Jesus to the other side? Are we willing to to share the word of God, to take Jesus to those who have a different perspective of life than we do? Are we willing to take Jesus to those who may have a different political view than we do? Are we willing to take Jesus to people who grew up in a different environment, a different neighborhood than we do? Or even if they speak a different language as a first language, are we able to And are we available and are we willing to take Jesus to the other side or do we only want to stay where we're comfortable? You see, Jesus says, let's go to the other side. Let's get on this lake, this this Sea of Galilee and go to the other side, the eastern shore. And now when they had left the multitude, this crowd of people, they took Jesus along in the boat as he was, meaning that. Of course, Jesus was already in the boat. As remember, he taught the multitude from the boat off the shore of the lake. And then it says that other little boats were also with him. So other boats followed Jesus and the disciples who were in the boat with him. And in verse 37, it says, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already Filling. And so now this the Sea of Galilee is actually a freshwater lake. That's why you keep hearing me say lake when I refer to the Sea of Galilee. And it's about 13 miles long at its longest and, and eight miles wide at its widest. Now it's known to, to experience violent storms because of its location. Because this lake, this Sea of Galilee, was surrounded on three sides by mountains and steep cliffs. And it lies nearly 700 feet below sea level. And so as one Bible scholar explains, it says that cool winds would often rush down from those steep slopes. And it would mix with the warmer air rising up from this lake, from this Sea of Galilee. And the resulting turbulence creates violent storms that will strike without warning. But Jesus, in verse 38, it says he was in the stern during this time. He was in the back of the boat at this time. And it says that he was asleep on a pillow. He was asleep on a cushion and they woke him. His disciples woke him and they said to Jesus, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we're about to drown, that we are about to die? Then he arose and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace or silence, be still. And the wind ceased and there was 
a great calm. There was stillness of the sea. And so in our previous lessons, we saw that Jesus has power over the demons. We, we saw that Jesus has power over sicknesses and disease. We even saw that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. And we even learned some more truth about Jesus, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. But now in tonight's lesson, we see that Jesus even has authority over nature. And that's important because it's another example that Jesus is God. It points to the deity of Jesus Christ. See, what's going on here is nature is obeying its creator. And if you go to Psalm 89 verse 9, you'll see an example that, that, that points to the fact that Jesus is God because Psalm 89 9 is about God. It says, you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. And how about this in, in Psalm 197, I'm sorry, 107 verse 29. It says, he calms the storm so that its waves are still. And so these scriptures in the Old Testament, in the Psalms about God, God Almighty, you see Jesus having those same attributes. He's able to calm the the wind. He's able to calm the waves. He's able to calm the storms. And so they can't do anything but obey their master, the creator. In verses 40 through 41, it says, but he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And so speaking of questions, Jesus asked them a a couple of questions here. Why are you so fearful? And how is it that you have no faith or still have no faith? And so they've seen him cast out demons and heal people from their diseases and sicknesses. But how is it that you still have no faith? And they feared exceedingly. And they said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? I like that. Because it reminds us that what what Jesus does and what Jesus says, what, what is recorded about what he did and said in the scriptures, it should make us pause. As one pastor would say, it should make us pause for the cause. And, and what we should do as we pause is to, is to think about what Jesus says and to think about what had occurred and, and not overlook it. Because the miracles that he is doing, that he accomplished in the scriptures, they're speaking. These miracles have a purpose. They, they have a message, and so as we, as we pause for the call, so to speak, we, we should ask ourselves, what does this say about Jesus? Why should we, we pause right here and not overlook what is going on, what Jesus has done? And that's important for us to not overlook because how we interpret this information and how we respond to Jesus is the difference between life and death. 
It's the difference between spiritual life and spiritual death. And I take it a step further because if a person dies in in that spiritual state of death, right now living physically but spiritually separated from God, no relationship with God because that's all death is. It is a separation. So the physical death, of course, would be the separation of the soul from the body and the spiritual death could mean that a person is physically alive. Their lungs and everything, the the physical heart is pumping, but spiritually they have no life because, again, death is separation. There is separation from God, no relationship. And if a person is to die, were to die in that state of being spiritually separated from God, then there's a such thing called eternal death, eternal separation from God. It's a place called hell. And so how we interpret this information about Jesus, about the things he says about himself, about the things that are recorded about him, how we interpret it, how we respond to that information, how we respond to Jesus is the difference between eternal life and eternal death. In fact, uh, the great apostle, the apostle Peter, who was spirit-filled, He said the following, he said, nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so it's time to to pause for the cause here and, and look at what's happening in these scriptures in this study. From the beginning of of Mark chapter one until now, Jesus is showing us who he is. But how are we taking that information in and how are we responding to Jesus? Now, as Jesus was asleep on a cushion at the back of the boat, the scriptures tell us that the storm raged on. And the disciples, his followers, they became fearful to the point where they woke up Jesus And they asked him if he cared that they were dying, that they were about to be destroyed or perishing. Now, Jesus, his going to sleep was intentional. It wasn't an accident that Jesus went to sleep on this boat. And I know it was intentional. I know he did it on purpose because he took cushion, got it all comfortable went to the back of the boat and he lied himself down and went to sleep. So it was an intentional thing that he was doing and they woke him up out of fear. Don't you care that we're about to die? And this reminds us of what was said in in Psalms and we're going to wear Psalms out tonight. Because in Psalm 44, Verses 23 and 24, it says, Awake, why do you sleep, O Lord? Arise, do not cast off, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction? Why do you forget our suffering? It would seem to the psalmist. And why do you forget our oppression, our troubles? 
And so they had the same question that the disciples had in tonight's study. While they were on this lake, the Sea of Galilee, in this storm, violent storm. And so the question is, does God care? Does God care that we are perishing? Does God care that that people right now are spiritually separated from God the Father because of sin? Not because of God, but because of sin. It separates us from God. And Jesus, of course, is the bridge to the Father, the way, the truth, and the life, John 14 so does God care that people are perishing, that, that people are on their way to hell? While they're so busy arguing about politics and everything else, there's people on their way to hell. But does God care that people are perishing is a question I pose tonight. I just, I just took the disciples' question and I'm just relating it to today. Because people are thinking this and and people are verbally asking this. Or how about with married couples and their, their marriages are struggling and maybe they will wonder, does God even care that our marriage is crumbling, that our marriage is perishing? Does God even care? Does he care that as a family, our family isn't as tight as it used to be? Does God care that our families are perishing? The family unit that God had put together the way he wanted it to be put together in the scriptures. Does God care that it seems to be tumbling down? That it seems to be perishing? Does he care? Does he care that as a country, this country seems to be perishing. It seems to be going down. Does God care that we are perishing? We can adopt that question to ourselves. We can adopt this question to today. And of course, you already know the answer to the question. And and many of you who are viewing online right now, you can answer that question without me even saying anything. But the question is, of course, He cares. See, God showed that he cares when he, of course, gave his son. Only a loving father would give his only begotten son. And this is a scripture that we as believers should, of course, have memorized. Because it tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish. There's our word perish. Should not be destroyed, but have everlasting life. And so Jesus is God the Father's only begotten Son. And if you look at the Greek behind the word only begotten, it means his unique or one of a kind. He always was the the Son of God, not a created being. He always existed. Research John chapter 1. And so, yes, he shows that he cares by by giving his son. And and giving, of course, is an awesome expression of love. Giving is an expression of caring. And so, yes, he cares by, by doing that, by giving Jesus. But, of course, God also shows that he cares when he speaks the truth about sin. Because sin destroys sin kills 
That's what it does. The scriptures tell us in Romans that the wages of sin is death. And so, yes, God cares when he speaks the truth about sin. And of course, believers, when done out of the attitude of love, we show that we care when we speak the truth about sin. That is not judging. Judging is not the same as truth telling. And just because we're telling the truth about sin, even in our own lives, that's not, that's not judging in the way Jesus says to not judge. But yes, God cares because he speaks the truth about sin. He doesn't want to see people destroyed. If people are to continue in sinful lifestyles, they'll never become all that they could be in him. They will never, I guarantee it, reach their potential going in a different direction than God's best for them, than God's best for me. And so he cares when he speaks the true truth about sin. He, he shows that he cares through the fact that he is long-suffering. You see, God is long-suffering. He is able, able, able to put up with the offenses that we see in this world and not just wipe out the world right now. Immediately, because he loves people and he, he wants people to come to that place of repentance. He wants people to, to join him in heaven, to be a part of his family. So, yes, he shows that he cares even through him being long-suffering. And many of us as believers, of course, we look forward to the day when Jesus is going to come back. For his church, we call that the rapture. When he comes back for his church, he, he doesn't touch down. We meet him in the air. He doesn't touch down until after the tribulation period. And guess who's going to come back with him? The church will come back in our glorified bodies. And so we're, we're waiting for his return. We're waiting for the rapture for Jesus to come for his church. But then at the same time, we, as we wonder, when is Jesus coming back? And we're getting anxious and we want to speed up the time. We have to remember that he's a long-suffering God and that there's still people that he's trying to reach. He's so long-suffering. Praise God, he did not come before August of 1997 because I would have been lost. I would have gone to hell. If he would have come back before August of 1997. And so God knows who's going to come to him. And he is so long suffering. So does God care that people are perishing? Yes, he does. He cares in the fact that he has a plan to make all things new. Where there's no more death. Where there's no more sorrow. Where there's no more tears where there's no more pain, it says in Revelation chapter 21, he says, behold, I make all things new. And so he cares enough to, to wipe out all of this mess and to make a brand new creation, new heavens, new universe, new earth. Yes, he cares that much for people to live in that sinless, perfect, peaceful environment. So yes, he cares. And so Many of us ask this question if God cares because some of us are in 
the midst of a storm. Some of us have, have the boats, or which, which mean our lives. Some of our lives, our boats, are being filled with water from the waves of, of life circumstances. Some of us are having our lives overflowed and flooded with persecutions and heartaches in this world right now and pain and suffering. And so maybe we are in that same position the disciples were, were in. Our, our, our boats are being overflowed. They're filling and, and we feel that we're sinking and that we're on our way to being destroyed. And so we may ask that question, does God care that I'm in this predicament? You see, this whole year of 2020, we're already midway through. And this whole year of 2020 has been like this storm that the disciples are experiencing on the Sea of Galilee. And the waves are, of course, the issues that, that follow each other. There's one issue after another in the year of 2020 in this storm. And so in 2020, just by people being in this year are wondering, does God even care about what's going on? But when they ask that question, Jesus asked them, why are they fearful and where is their faith? And I wonder if that's a question that Jesus would ask us today. Why are we so fearful? And where is our faith? Is, is that a question that he has for us tonight? You see, Jesus asked those two questions because it is assumed that they should not be fearful and they should have faith. They should have trust in him. They've seen some miracles. They've seen him cast out demons. They've seen him heal people of their diseases. And so it's assumed they should not be full of fear and that's, they should put their trust in him. In the midst of their storm. And we should do the same in the midst of our storm. And so that's what's assumed. That's how it should be. But, but why? Why should we not be fearful? And why should we not lack faith in the midst of our storm? And so we want to turn to the scriptures. We want to turn to our text for hints. Because first of all, in, in verse 35, remember that Jesus said to his disciples, and this could be easily overlooked, he said, let us cross to the other side. And then he went to sleep. And so the first point of why we, we should not be fearful and why we should not lack faith, but instead have faith in the midst of our storm, is because just like the disciples had, we too have clear revelation and direction about what to do. We see it in the word of God. We have clear revelation and direction about where we are going. And we know that we have an eternal home with our father in heaven. But the crazy thing about this storm that they were in is that they were doing what Jesus wanted them to do. And they still found themselves in the midst of a storm. And so here's the thing as I, as I back up this point. Here's the thing that if he told us to do it, if it's in his word, he told us to do it. 
And he, and he showed us where we're going. We have clear revelation about that. Then that means that he's going to ensure that we're going to be successful and we're going to make it to that place he wants us to be, that he said we're going to be. But this also shows us too that just because we are in the will of God and doing what he wants us to do, it does not mean that it's going to be an easy road. It doesn't mean that there's going to be smooth sailing for the believer. It doesn't mean that if he called us to ministry, that everything is going to work out perfectly. No, in fact, 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verse 12 says this. It says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Yes, even if we are doing what Jesus said and following that clear revelation and the clear directions. Yes, it's possible that this would happen and we have to be prepared for this as believers. But there's another hint from our text in verse 36 that also backs up the point or answers our questions of why should we not be fearful and lack faith in our storm. And, and I want to point all of our attention to the fact that Jesus was already with them when the storm came. And so that second point for us, that second reason for us, is the fact that he is always with us. He, you see, God promises to never leave us nor forsake us. And so the fact that, number one, again, we have clear revelation and direction about what to do and where we're going. And then the fact that he's always with us and will not leave us are two reasons why we should trust in him and why we should not be fearful. He is with us. Why should we fear? You see, and then number three, why should we not be fearful and why should we have faith and, and trust even in the midst of this storm while, while the, our, the boats of our lives are being filled with these raging waves and this wind, these issues of life, they stir us up and rock our boats, rock our lives. To have faith because, of course, God has power over all creation and we see that with the fact that he's able to calm the winds and the sea. And of course, the same one who has powers to calm the natural winds, the one who has powers to calm the storm and the waves of the sea or of this lake, in this example, is the same one who can calm the storms of our lives. He is that same God who is Almighty, we call it, we call him an omnipotent God. He is an all-powerful God. And sometimes we forget that we have this all-powerful God with us. You know, I had this friend growing up, and he was a little older than me, maybe four years older than I was. He lived... On, on top of us, we lived downstairs, he lived upstairs, and, you know, we used to play G.I. Joe with those toys, and we used to do all kind of crazy stuff together. We even practiced boxing against each other, so we got some boxing gloves, we would go out in the front yard, and, and we'll box. And he taught me how to fight, he taught me how to box. 
But he lived in San Bernardino. We, and at that time, we were in South Central L.A. And so every now and then, he would go back home from visiting his, I believe it was his great-grandmother in South Central. He would go back home to San Bernardino, and I'll be there by myself. But when he came back in town, I felt tough. I felt tougher than I was. I remember I, I got into a fight one time and, you know, I, I didn't win. I know it's hard to believe, but I didn't win. And so my friend came down from San Bernardino and I told him, I said, hey, I got into a fight with so-and-so. And so Ronnie, I'm not telling anybody else to copy this. I'm just telling the story. Not trying to be a bad influence. But, but my friend, he, he, in other words, got him back for me. And so... I thought I was so big and bad when he was in town. Now, many of us feel like that. If we have a friend or a family member backing us, some of us feel big and bad when we have the government backing us. But why don't we feel like that? Why don't we feel invincible like that? That nobody can touch us, that nothing can touch us unless God allows it. How come we don't feel like that when we have the almighty God with us? When we have the Holy Spirit who indwells us, see, we serve an omnipotent God. And this same God who created the universe lives in us through his Holy Spirit when we repent and we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. And so that's point number three about why should we not be fearful and, and lack faith in the midst of our storm, but, but also... We need to remember that if we really pay attention to the text, we can see that the disciples, they had access to Jesus. He was right there. He was just sleeping. And all they had to do was call out to him. In fact, it says they just woke him up. And so just like they had access to the Lord, we too have access to Jesus. We have access as the worship team takes the stage. And, and I don't think many of us take advantage of that great privilege that we have as, as children of the Most High God, as servants of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that we have access to Him. And this access that we have is, is even revealed in the invitation that we see in the letter to the Philippians. In chapter 4, verses 6 and 11, because in those verses, it says to be anxious for nothing. In other words, it says to do not worry about anything. You may be in a storm right now. There may be some waves that are filling your boat of life with water and you feel overwhelmed and you're sinking right now. You feel that God is sleeping. God, where are you? Do you care or don't you care? Well, some of us feel that way who are in this room or maybe you're watching there on the screen. Well, some of us feel that way right now. But it says to be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious about this storm that we're in. And it may not be this COVID-19 or whatever other protests or riots that are going on. It may be something else personal in your life, but be anxious for nothing. And I can do nothing but share what the word of God says. But in everything by prayer 
That's in, that's in general, the general prayers and supplications. Those are your uh, requests, specific requests. And notice this, with thanksgiving, let all your requests be made known to God. Do that instead of worrying about this storm you're in. And it says this, that if we do that, it tells us that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. So as far as our minds could think, the peace of God surpasses even that. That peace of God that this world cannot give us, that we cannot drum up on our own in the midst of our storm, that peace of God from the eternal God will guard our hearts. It will protect our hearts and it will protect our minds through Christ Jesus from what? from that anxiety, from the worrying. And so when we read that scripture and you think once again about that question, does God care? If you read that scripture, Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, once again, only, only a God who cares would say that and would invite us to, to, to come to him in prayer. Oh, Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you, Lord, that although there's some storms going on, that things are brewing and there's some waves filling our boat of life and some winds that are rocking us right now. Maybe nationally, maybe personally, maybe within our homes or churches, we Lord, we turn over all of our cares, our anxieties over to you. And Lord, I, I pray your peace over your people. And you are an infinite God, so you are able to offer infinite peace that passes all our understanding. And so, Lord, calm, calm the waves in my brother's and sister's heart tonight. Calm the waves and the storms in those struggling marriages tonight, Father. We pray, Lord, that you would calm the wave of restlessness and fear from people who are on the verge of losing their jobs and maybe have lost their jobs. We thank you, Lord, that we have access to you through Jesus Christ. If there's anyone who has never surrendered his or her life to Jesus. I would encourage you to do Thank that you tonight. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, Obviously, or want more information about our church, and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus to Christ die on in your, your behalf life, and my please behalf. visit Calvary Queen Creek. We offended a holy God.
But the holy God that we offended, he took the first step to help us to have a way back to him. And that way is only through Jesus Christ. And I don't care what other information you've read or been told. If you haven't been taught that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to salvation, the only way to heaven, if you haven't been taught that, but instead have been hearing other information about other ways, those other ways are lies. For even Jesus says that broad is the way that leads to destruction, but that way to life is narrow, and it's only through Jesus. So if you like to receive Jesus into your life and allow him to be personally your Savior and your Lord, I'll lead you in a prayer. And if you mean it, please repeat after me. Oh God, I know that you care. I know that you love me. I believe that you sent Jesus to die for my sins. And I believe that you rose him from the dead. And I acknowledge, I confess that I am a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me And I ask Jesus to become my Savior, my Lord. And I ask you to help me to live the way you want me to live. To no longer live for myself. And I thank you for allowing me to now become your son or your daughter. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, and welcome to the family of God. And if you need a Bible, need prayer, you want to talk to one of the staff, you can go to calvaryqueencreek.org. Fill out the form on the homepage or email office at ccfqc.org. So again, I'd like to thank you all for joining us, those in the room and those on the other side of the lens. Thank you for joining us. May God bless your week and may God use you in a mighty way. We love you. God bless you.